And Lord Jesus, we thank you for paying our debt. We thank you that by your sacrifice, by the shedding of your blood, you have brought forgiveness. And that by faith in you and you alone, we are reconciled to our holy God. Jesus, you have made your people one body, a body that is to worship together, to serve each other, love each other, forgive one another. In Christ, I pray that by your power, you would use this time this morning to grow our passion, to be unified as one body, and that by your power, Lord, help us to forgive each other as you have forgiven us. And it's in your precious, holy name that I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Today marks the second week of our summer preaching series, which we are calling Because You Asked. And as Pastor Steve mentioned last week, what we're going to be doing throughout the whole summer is answering questions that many of you submitted uh, in response to our time in the book of Luke. And last week, Pastor Steve kicked this off by answering the question, what does it mean to be all in? And Pastor Steve also established the format that we're going to use throughout this entire series, which is to present the question, uh, present an answer, uh, and then to conclude. And last week, uh, we laid some ground rules down for our summer series that uh, Pastor Steve shared. And I also like to share those with you, the sort of four uh, ground rules uh, for the summer preaching series. Uh, the first of which is that we will not be able to address all the issues that pertain uh, to your question. And many of the, the topics that we're going to be uh, answering are more expansive than a 40-minute than a sermon can answer. And if you'd like more follow-up um, afterwards, feel free to see myself or Jeff or, or pa Pastor Steve to unpack it a little bit further. Ground rule number two is that not every question might be something that you are asking. Therefore, there could be some Sundays where we are dealing with something that might not directly apply to you, but take the time to listen. Uh, learn how to answer the question, because uh, God may use you in your ability to answer it to disciple someone else. Third ground rule is that only God possesses all wisdom. Therefore, be patient with us. Uh, we will give you our best answer from Scripture, but there's always more to say on every issue. And then finally, um, this series is going to be a little bit different than our regular teaching times on Sundays. As you know, our regular teaching times are based upon explaining the Scriptures in their context. And during this series, we're, of course, we'll be in the Scriptures and we will expound the Scriptures, but we'll be spending a little bit more time in application. Uh, the reason for this is that this is a response to the challenging teaching uh, that we've had throughout our time in the book of Luke. So those are the ground rules, um, which sets us up for the second question um, in the Because You Ask series. And before I introduce that question, uh, what I want to do this morning is to introduce you to, oh, thank you, 
introduce you to someone. Now this little... There we go. <laughs> now this little dog's name is Bella. And she is a four-year-old Yorkshire Terrier, or Yorkie. And I had first heard about Bella about a week ago when I was watching the 10 o'clock news. And the reason why Bella was featured on the news was that apparently uh, Bella's owner was walking her uh, down a path in Chicago along Lake Michigan when a cyclist, apparently going about 30 to 40 miles an hour, ran Bella over, right down the middle. And now Bella was okay after the incident and only suffered a couple broken toes, which the cast um, can attest to. But within this news story, they unpack this underlying tension that exists between uh, those who walk dogs on this path and also the cyclists. Uh, the dog owners insisted that cyclists zoom much too fast along the path with little regard to those around them. And the cyclists insist that the dog owners are letting their, their dogs wander way too far on their retractable leashes um, away from their owners. One cyclist even shared how they had had to tumble off of their bike to avoid uh, a dog. So, so the story exposed some of this tension between these two groups of people. But the news story zeroed in on this tension between Bella's owner and this cyclist. And the story ended with little Bella in her owner's lap and the owner sharing that the one thing she, the owner, wanted and was seeking but has not yet gotten was an apology from the cyclist. The cyclist to admit that he had done something wrong, to express remorse for what he had done. And we can all relate to this dog owner um, in some way, can't we? I mean, we've all been in situations where someone has wronged us, where the actions of another has caused some sort of harm to us. Now, if I'm saying this in a Christian way, I would say that we've all been in situations where someone else's sin has caused us harm, where it has caused us damage. And we don't always think about it this way, but it's true that when someone wrongs you, we have this sense that that person owes us something. And in that sense, a debt has been created. A debt has been created because when we are wronged, we feel that something has been taken from us. Maybe someone's wrongdoing, their sin, has taken happiness away from you. You know, maybe for this dog owner, the enjoyment of being able to walk her dog uh, down a path has been taken away from her. Maybe someone has slandered you or spoken badly about you to other people, taking uh, your reputation away from you. But if you've been hurt by another person, you can't deny that it has created a debt with you. And we've all felt that desire for that debt to be paid back by the other person. And sometimes we take payments on these kinds of debts from those who have hurt us. 
And we do this by maybe inflicting pain on the other person where, where we take enjoyment from them and put it into that debt account. Maybe a payment is made on that debt when we see something bad happen to that person so that their suffering goes into our debt account. Maybe a payment is made on that debt when we speak poorly about that other person to other people and their reputation goes into our debt account. All of us have experienced this in some way. All of us have been wronged. We've all suffered harm from friends, by our, by our spouse, our children, others. And it's true that each of us have wronged others as well. We are all sinners, and we all have to deal with other people's sins and the debts they create in our lives. And I know that there are people in this room who have been hurt in ways that are much greater and much more painful uh, than the story about this little dog that, that it exposed. I know that many people here have experienced deep hurts and deep pains caused by other people. We've experienced deep deaths created inside of us. And all this leads to what we're going to talk about today, which is forgiveness. And specifically, how do we respond when someone else's sin harms us and they don't repent of that sin? How are we to respond? How should we feel? What should we do? Our second question in our summer series is, do people need to repent in order to be forgiven? Do people need to repent in order to be forgiven? And as I've studied this question this past week, as I've sought the Bible for wisdom, as I have prayed, a lot of things have happened with me. You know, I've been convicted of my own heart of unforgiveness. I've understood a little bit deeper the debt that I have incurred against God and have grown in my appreciation for Christ's payment of that debt. And I've also realized that the topic of forgiveness is one that you could do an entire summer series on. Many books have been written on this subject, and it is complicated. And as I've prepared, all these different questions and scenarios and what-ifs have popped into my mind. Uh, I've thought about, should I address this topic, or how do I work this element into this? And unfortunately, we can't address everything. But as we look to answer this question, do people need to repent in order to be forgiven? My heart and my prayer is that as we look at this question, that God would grow your heart to be a forgiver. That God would grow your heart to be a forgiver, to be passionate about forgiveness, realizing that you yourself have been forgiven by God as a result of his undeserved grace and mercy to you. And I hope that you see that it's by the power of God's grace, by the power of Christ, that in turn, you can forgive others in the same manner that you have been forgiven by God in Christ. So that's our question this morning. Do people need to repent in order to be forgiven? Uh, you'll see in your outline we have the question and the answer and then a conclusion. So let's move on into that question do people need to repent in order to be forgiven? 
And this is a great question, and it stems from a sermon that Pastor Steve preached a couple weeks ago uh, when he preached from Luke chapter 17, and this question is centered in verses 3 to 4. Uh, Luke, 17, Luke chapter 17, verses 3 to 4 says this, If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. You must forgive him. And in this passage, we seem to have a protocol for how to address someone else who is in sin. And as Steve shared when he preached on this text, this protocol is supposed to take place amongst fellow Christians. Because as the body of Christ, our unity is important. Our living for Christ is important. And as a community bound together by Christ, we should spur each other to live well for him and maintain our unity. And when someone has sinned against you, this protocol is laid out. A protocol whose aim is restoration within the body of Christ a protocol whose aim is Christ-exalted living within the body of Christ. And in this protocol, we see a couple of different elements. Number one, you see this element of rebuking. And with rebuking, there is this idea of going to the person who has wronged you and telling them that they have done or are doing something wrong. Going to the person who has wronged you and telling them that they have done or are doing something wrong. If someone has sinned against you, you go and tell them. Jesus says something similar in the book of Matthew chapter 18, uh, where our Lord instructs, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Now, I'm going to make a couple of comments on rebuking, and what I'm about to say probably could be a whole sermon in and of itself, um, but I'll only speak briefly to the point, though. As it concerns rebuking someone who has sinned against you, there needs to be wisdom in this area. You need to look at the situation that exists, this tension between you and the other person, and first examine yourself to make sure that you are not in sin. And that there are other times uh, where sometimes we need to forgive um, without confronting that person. We have to balance rebuking with also the principle of forbearance. Rebuking needs to be done with wisdom and in love and with restoration as its aim. However, rebuking in love is necessary at times and it should absolutely be done when the other person's sin has caused you harm and or when that other person's sin is destructive to them or when it is damaging uh, to the unity of the church. So this idea of rebuking is to go into the person who has wronged you and telling them they're wrong. You also see repentance um, in here as well. And with repentance, there is this idea that someone recognizes their wrongdoing. They recognize that they have incurred a debt with you, and they admit their guilt, and they turn away from their wrongdoing. They admit their guilt and turn away from it. They seek to not do it anymore. They repent of the sin. They apologize. 
And then we have forgiveness. And the idea of forgiveness is that whatever wrong that person has committed, when you forgive them, you don't hold it against them any longer. With forgiveness, when you forgive them, you don't hold it against them any longer. You don't condemn them for it any longer. And with forgiveness, it is an act of the will. It is a choice. And in forgiveness, you choose to cancel the debt that has been created as the result of the other person's sin against you. In forgiveness, you choose to cancel the debt that has been created as the result of that other person's sin against you. And then you, in turn, pay that debt yourself. And a lot of times, it is costly to you. Because no longer do you make a person pay that debt by, by taking happiness from that other person or speaking badly about that other person or wishing harm on that other person. All of that adds up to unforgiveness. But with forgiveness, you make payments on that debt by spending time in prayer and praying for that person and putting away all those bad thoughts that conjure up in your mind when you think about them, thoughts of revenge. You make payments by fighting all the sinful desires to harm that person and slander that person and replace it by acts of kindness, by words that build up. But forgiveness is all about canceling the debt with the other person. It's not about taking payments from that other person, but rather you making those payments yourselves. And a lot of times, those payments come in installments. Uh, you can't pay them all in one lump sum. And forgiveness is simply not forgetting. It's not just saying, eh, whatever, you know, you wronged me, and yeah, yeah, I, I forgive you. You know, forgiveness is an active process, a process with cost to ourselves, with restoration at its aim, and it's something that we can't do by our own strength. It's something that we can only do by the power of Christ. It is costly, but Christ calls us to forgive. And forgiveness can be tough. And I'm sure you're all tracking with me and that this is a process that makes sense when the other person repents. But what do you do if that other person doesn't repent of their sin? But if you go to them and they don't think that they've done anything wrong and they clearly have, what if they lie to you about what they've done? What if you go to them and they simply don't care that they've hurt you? They are in rebellion. What are we to do in those kinds of situations? Do people need to repent in order to be forgiven? And what I'd like to do is share sort of a scenario to help bring this situation to life. And in this scenario, I'm going to need all of you to imagine that you are uh, financial planners. So all of you need to pretend that you are a financial planner. Are there any real financial planners in the room? Mark, okay, good. Um, so, so let's say that you are a financial planner and you give financial advice someone, to someone here at the church. And let's also say that that, 
that financial advice that you give to the other person causes them to, say, lose 50% of their retirement fund. All right, now that person is quite angry with you. You go and apologize to that person. You explain that it was a, a good fund that you told them to invest in, but sudden and drastic market conditions have caused it to uh, go down. And even though you apologize to this person, they are still quite angry with you. They think that you were out to get them. And now this person is, to begin, is beginning to tell other people how horrible you are. Your reputation becomes damaged. You lose some business. People start to think less of you. This person has clearly wronged you. You are suffering, and a debt is growing in you. And so you, the financial planner, with a heart to cancel this debt, with a heart to forgive, with a heart of restoration, you go and you rebuke this person because they are in sin. You apologize for how things work out, but you, and you point out to them that we, as Christians, are not to slander each other and that this behavior is causing disunity in the church and you've been hurt in this process. But say he doesn't repent. He keeps on doing it. So this Luke 17 protocol has, has been broken. You might then go on to what Matthew um, 18 says. You might go and talk to this person, bringing one or two other people with you uh, to talk to them about it. They still don't repent, and it's brought to the church. But this person just doesn't repent. What are you to do? Do they need to repent to be forgiven? And so that leads us to our next point, which is the answer to this question. And my short and simple answer is no. People do not need to repent in order to be forgiven. People do not need to repent in order to be forgiven. It's because if you have put your faith in Christ, then you have been forgiven by God. God forgives you based on his grace. And we are to be forgivers, and we need to forgive others in the same manner in which God in Christ has forgiven us. We need to forgive others in the same manner in which God in Christ has forgiven us. Now, as it concerns forgiveness in general, no one should understand what it means to be forgiven more than Christians. No one should understand what it means to have a debt paid for them more than us. Because each of us, because we are sinners, have incurred a debt with God. A debt that we cannot pay back. We are sinners, and the wages of sin is death. Our relationship with God is broken because of sin, and there is nothing that we can do on our own to have our relationship with God restored. And because of our sin and because of our rebellion against God, we must be eternally damned and separated from God forever. But God, in his love, in his kindness, has provided a way for that debt to be forgiven through Jesus Christ. I love what Colossians 2, verses 13 to 14 says, where the Apostle Paul shares, And you, 
who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. In Christ, God forgives us. In Christ, God cancels our record of debt against him. And just like it's costly for us to forgive others, for God to forgive us, there was a cost. It was Christ's life. God set aside our record of debt through nailing through the nailing of Christ to the cross. No debt has been paid by a greater price. No forgiveness has been more costly than your forgiveness through Christ's death. And if you are sitting here and you have put your faith in Christ, then you should be one that understands this concept of forgiveness. It should be dear to you. If you are in Christ, you should know that the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You should be praising God every day for canceling your debt, for reconciling you to him through Christ. We just sang, oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. We should understand what it means to be forgiven. And not only should we understand forgiveness, no one should forgive better than us. Because we are commanded to forgive others the same way God in Christ has forgiven us. Two times, to two separate churches, Paul makes this command. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 31 to 32, the apostle says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven you. To the Colossians he wrote, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Both of these passages come within the context of Paul telling us of who we are to be as Christians. And if you're sitting here and you are in Christ, then forgiveness should be a huge part of who you are. I mean, you have been forgiven by God in Christ. Your debt has been paid. And being someone who forgives should be a central part of who you are, something that you should seek to excel at because you have been commanded to forgive as God has forgiven. We need to be passionate about forgiveness. And the forgiveness that we show to each other should be unusual to the world. When they see us forgive, when they ask how we do it, we should say, only by Christ's strength can I forgive like this. 
I can forgive because God in Christ has forgiven me. Ted read for us uh, this morning uh, Matthew 6, verses 5 to 15. Now, this is a passage from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is laying out principles for how people who are citizens in his kingdom should live. And here, many of us know he teaches us how to pray. And there is a lot that you could pull out from the Lord's Prayer. But what I want to do is just focus in on the part of the Lord's Prayer uh, found in Matthew chapter 6, verse 12. And in teaching us to pray, Jesus says, And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. When we put our faith in Christ, we do become a new creation. And this life we live on earth is one in which we seek to set aside who we were before Christ and seek to put on the new self, the person that Christ calls us to be. We only do so by Christ's power, but it is a struggle because we are constantly battling with sin. As we sung, we are prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And as we pray... A regular part of our prayer life as Christians should be to ask God to forgive us our debts, our sins, our daily trespasses, those things which, if left unchecked, which left unconfessed, will cause us to move farther away from God. Forgive us of our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And in the Lord's Prayer, you see here this relationship between our asking for forgiveness each day and forgiving others each day. They go hand in hand. They're not meant to be separated. We don't ask God to cancel our debts while holding on to the debts that others have created in our life. Forgive us of our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. It almost seems like we are to forgive others first and then ask God's forgiveness for our debts. And notice that Jesus didn't teach us to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive only debtors who have repented of their sins towards us. We are to be forgivers. We are to forgive others. Jesus taught us to pray this way. And I think that this part of the prayer was particularly important to our Lord because he adds some commentary to this part of the prayer Um, in verses 14 to 15. Jesus says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. That's an interesting statement, isn't it? I mean, mean, you kind of read that, and it almost sounds like our eternal forgiveness with God is conditional based on our forgiveness of others, where our eternal forgiveness is conditional. Now, that is not true. When you put your faith in Christ, no one can snatch you out of his hand. And this prayer is a prayer for people who are Christians. 
But what is true is that in your Christian life, unrepented sins can pull you away from a deeper fellowship with God. And if you're holding on to unforgiveness, that's an unrepented sin. And just like a loving parent should provide consequences for their child's rebellion to make them see their wrong, our Heavenly Father at times provides consequences for His children who hold on to unforgiveness towards others. And if we are holding on to unforgiveness, we might need to ask if some of the difficulties in our life might be God's consequences in trying to get us to realize that we have that we need to repent of the sin of unforgiveness. I was reading this past week, uh, and I came across a quote from John MacArthur on this, on this concept, and he said, I'm convinced that multitudes of Christians who suffer from stress, depression, discouragement, relationship problems, and other sorts of hardships experience these things because of a refusal to forgive. Forgiveness from the heart would liberate that person immediately and glorify God in the process. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Friends, we are to be forgivers. We are to be debt cancelers, forgiving others as God in Christ has forgiven us. Sometimes it's hard. Oftentimes, it is costly. But in God's forgiveness of us through Christ, we have more than what we need to do it. Now, at the start of this sermon, I introduced you to Bella. And now I want to introduce you to someone else. Um, her name is Corey Ten Boom. And a lot of you might have heard of Corey Ten Boom before. Um, but as I was studying this week, I was reminded of the story of Corey Ten Boom. She was someone who had been imprisoned with her family by, by the Nazis for giving aid to Jewish people uh, during World War II. Her father and her sister, Betsy, they died as a result of the, the brutal treatment that they received in prison. Corey lived... And after her time in concentration camp, went on to travel the world and to testify about God's love. And during her travels in Germany, she encountered one of these jailers uh, that was at the concentration camp where she was held. And what I want to do is share from you uh, from a book that she wrote where she is describing uh, this encounter. I was at a church service in Munich that I saw him the former SS man who had stood guard at the shower room door in the processing center at Ravensbrück. He was the first of our actual jailers that I had seen since that time. And suddenly it was all there, the room full of mocking men, the heaps of clothing, Betsy's pain-blanched face. He came up to me as the church was emptying, beaming and bowing. How grateful I am for your message, madam, he said, to think as you say, he washed my sins away. His hand was thrust out to shake mine, and I, who had preached so often to the people in Bloomingdale about the need to forgive, kept my hand at my side. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them, 
Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again, I breathed a silent prayer. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder along my arm and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him, while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. So I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness any more than on our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on him. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives, along with the command, the love itself. In Christ, there is power to forgive. It's not our power, it's his. And we we seek his strength, his grace, his help. He will provide the forgiveness that he calls us to extend to others. He will allow us to cancel our debt. And it's in our weaknesses where Christ's power is made known. We are to be forgivers, and we need to forgive others the way that God in Christ has forgiven us. So let's wrap this up uh, for this morning. Um, And in conclusion, I just have five uh, quick points as they result, as they pertain uh, to this question. Five points. The first one is to daily remember your own forgiveness in Christ. Daily remember your own forgiveness in Christ. If we are to be forgivers, if you are going to be a forgiver, then you must remember daily how much you've been forgiven by God in Christ. We must do that by confessing our sins each day, thanking God for the cross and for the forgiveness that he provides through Christ. And it's only the power of Christ's forgiveness that you can seek to forgive others. Daily remember your own forgiveness in Christ and praise the one who paid your debt by the shedding of his own blood. Number two, examine your heart for unforgiveness and forgive others. Examine your heart for unforgiveness and forgive others. Ask yourself if you are harboring unforgiveness towards anyone who has hurt you. Look at your life. Are there any broken relationships? Is there strain? Is there there difficulty? Ask yourself, why is this the case? Because if you're harboring unforgiveness towards others, that will prevent you from being able to draw close to God. It will surface other sins in your life. If someone else's sin has harmed you, bring it before them. And regardless if they repent or not, work to cancel the debt. Number three, forgiveness does not mean the absence of consequences. Forgiveness does not mean the absence of consequences. This too, I felt like could have been its own sermon. But I'll say briefly that we need to work to forgive but that doesn't mean that the one who committed the wrong shouldn't have to suffer consequences at times. The Bible has protocols for those who refuse to repent of their sins because, of the bo- because as the body of Christ, we need to take living for Christ seriously. 
our Heavenly Father takes our walk seriously. And in our walk with Him, um, He will provide consequences in our lives. Um, We have unrepentant sin to help draw us back to Him. Forgiveness of others' unrepentant sins doesn't mean that there aren't consequences at times. doesn't mean that you should uh, draw near to that person. Even when people repent of their sins at times, there, there are consequences. And we saw this in King's David, King David's life after he repented of the sin of adultery. Number four, forgiveness is an active process. Forgiveness is an active process. When you forgive someone, don't just say, I forgive you. And don't make those payments necessary to clear the debt. We need to make those costly payments. We need to pray for the people we've forgiven. We need to go out of our way to restore the relationship. We need to make sure that that debt has truly been paid off. Because if we don't, if we think that we've paid the debt, but we really haven't, then that could lead to to, uh, lashing out at that person other times and doing other things uh, that equal up to the truth that we haven't forgiven them. Forgiveness is an active process. You have to make the payments. And then finally, if you have wronged somebody, go and repent. If you have wronged somebody, go and repent. If you're sitting here and if you've caused someone harm as a result of your sin, repent of it. First to God and then to the other person. Matthew 5, 23 to 24 says, So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and come and offer your gift. If we are in Christ, then we must all be passionate about unity, about living restored together, because Christ died to make us one body. So the question is, do people need to repent in order to be forgiven? The answer is no. People do not need to repent in order to be forgiven. If you have put your faith in Christ, then you have been forgiven by God. God's forgiveness of you was based on his grace. We are to be forgivers, and we need to forgive others the same way God in Christ has forgiven us. It's oftentimes hard. It's costly. But in Christ's forgiveness, we have the strength to do it. So let's be passionate about forgiveness. Let's be passionate about unity. And let's show DeKalb County that by Christ's power, that we can forgive like no one else. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, our great Lord God, I just thank you again for the forgiveness that you have shown to us in Christ. God, we are about to sing the words, I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. And I pray, Lord, that those words would be dear to us. I pray that the price that was prayed to forgive us would be something that we are constantly in awe of, something that uh, continues to fill us up with awe and praise. God, you have forgiven us by your grace, and may we go and forgive others as you have forgiven us. May we be passionate about unity. May we rely on Christ's power to forgive as we have been forgiven as you have made a costly payment to clear our debt, may we too clear the debts of others. 
God, only by Christ's power can we do this. And may our seeking to forgive others as we have been forgiven cause us to grow in our dependence of our Savior. And it's in his precious, his holy, his great and powerful name I pray. Amen.